Hi, welcome to What Are the Tax Implications? I'm Ron Scott. I'm Jeff Rosenthal. We are your first call tax advocates here once again to help increase your financial and tax knowledge. In this episode of What Are the Tax Implications? We'll be talking about the following topics. Moving expenses. Are they deductible on our tax return? And penalties. Failure to file, failure to pay. And lastly, the probate process, the orderly transfer of assets from the decedent to the survivors. Whether you're the CEO of your household or of your business, questions constantly arise regarding the tax consequences of your financial circumstance. First Call Tax Advocates is always here to answer your questions and offer educational background regarding the potential tax implications of your action. Ron and Jeff are your first responders. They are board-certified financial and tax professionals with over 60 years of experience. Please visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more about them, explore their resources, and leave a review of your experience. For more urgent matters, please call them toll-free at 833-568-8999. That's 833-568-8999. The topics and responses discussed here are intended for general education. Our discussions are not intended to give you advice on your specific situation. We would advise you to seek advice from a competent and licensed professional. Tax law is always evolving and our discussions are based on the law existing to date. Our first caller is Skyler from Schenectady, New York. And Skyler has an opportunity, Jeff, uh, their employer has decided to leave New York and move to Colorado, where they will set up shop. And Skyler is an important person within their organization and has been asked to move. It's good for Skyler. Um, and there are there are companies that are doing just that. They're looking for a better tax venue, uh, something that they're. Um, their bottom line will appreciate and that all of their employees can appreciate the community around them, the surrounding community. And Skyler has this opportunity to move and is just wondering if I am moving and incurring expenses associated with the move and my employer was the one who said, hey, Skyler, come on west with us. What are the tax implications regarding those expenses? Well, under the current law, since the enactment of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, you don't get a deduction for the moving expenses. Uh, and in fact, if you receive money, you will get a 1099 or it'll be included in your W-2 and it will be taxable. But prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, if you were moving for work, you did get a deduction for it. And who knows, in the pandemic, maybe that'll come back. So Skyler has to pack up, move west, find a place to live, and there could be some significant expenses associated. And in the past, there was an above-the-line deduction. This decreased adjusted gross income, but now there is only one circumstance, Jeff, 
where a person is able to take that deduction. And that would be for our very important military members. So when a military person is moving to a permanent location, the expenses associated with that move are indeed deductible as it used to be prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So they would be able to take an above-the-line deduction, reduce their adjusted gross income. And that's a good thing. But let's get back to Skyler. So if Skyler pays out of his own pocket and moves, he cannot claim those expenses as deductions. If Skyler's employer reimburses Skyler of those expenses, Jeff, you said it was compensation, it's taxable income? Yep, that's the way it is. So you got a benefit and there is no special exemption in the law, so it is taxable. Hmm, this really doesn't seem like a tax cut. Seems like a way to pay for a tax cut. But let's not opine. Skylar, good luck that you're able to go to Colorado and continue employment. I really think that that's great. And I hope things work out for you and your family. Take care, Skylar. Our next caller is a uh, familiar voice, Jeff. It's Ted from Tottenville. Hi, Ted. How are you? Well, Ted's not doing so well. Ted and his friends, the um, tax uh, preparation person, I was going to say professional, but we don't think that Ted's friend is a professional at this point. Um, Ted is digging into his situation a little bit more, and he's noticed penalties. Uh, He can understand the liability, and he can understand the interest associated, but what about the the actual penalties, Jeff? Um, Ted's concerned. He sees a long list. Um, what are some of the most common penalties? Oh, there's a bunch of them. Um, government, I think, has over 40 of them. So the most common ones are failure to pay, failure to file, the estimated taxes, uh, understatement of liability, um, failure to pay payroll taxes, uh, failure to report foreign income. There are plenty of, of penalties. So let's let's take the most common penalty that we see in, in our practice. We see the, um, the penalty for not paying the right amount of estimated taxes, right? And, you know, sometimes that penalty is not that big, right, Jeff? No, and then again, sometimes it's very big. So, uh, you know, there are strategies and approaches built within the law of those penalties. Um, Those are decisions that you have to make to try and use those alternate methods. Otherwise, the penalty will default. So what do I mean? You can annualize the income or if you paid more tax this year than last year, even though you still owe money, you can mitigate the penalties. So those are the two primary exceptions uh, for the penalties. And, you know, again, a qualified tax person can help walk you through that. Okay. So we could tidy things up by making sure that we pay our estimated taxes on time in the amounts that are generated from our prior year tax return. All right. What about you don't pay all of your liability by April 15th or the tax return due date and when the tax payments due. You didn't pay the whole thing. Is there a penalty associated with not paying? 
Oh, yeah. Um, those penalties have always existed and have existed for a long time, and we're now going to see a bigger implementation of that thanks to the pandemic. But yes, it's... So what are the purpose of the penalties? The purpose of the penalties to ensure that you're going to be compliant, uh, that um, it's costly to not be compliant. So if you can prove that, yes, you couldn't pay the money, you didn't pay the money, but you have a credible reason, there are provisions that will allow for the penalties to be abated. Otherwise, the penalties are within the law. So the penalty is in addition to the liability and the interest for the failure to pay. Then there is the failure to file. So you have to file on time or file an extension. Okay, so Ted evidently, as we find out, did not file on time. And in Ted's case, it was even worse because Ted had presented all the information to his tax person but the tax person failed to transmit that tax return to the government. So, so remember what happened, you know, the, the deductions, right, that were taken for many years. Uh, I guess that was the discussion Ted had. Like, why, why are you saying I can't do this when I've been doing it for years? And that opened up a whole ball of wax. But again, we found that there was a failure to file. So the failure to file penalties... They can't be that much. You just forgot to file. Why yeah. would they really penalize you oh, for that? Oh, it adds up. It's 5% a month, and that's in accruing to a maximum of 25%. Your tax bill within a very short period of time can double. Wait a second. So if Ted's liability, let's say, Jeff, is $10,000, and he fails to file, you're saying that 5% of 10000 being 500 he would have a penalty of $500 per month for five months. That gets him to 25%. But then there's also the failure to pay penalty. And what was the percentage on that? It's a half a percent increasing to um, uh, half a percent monthly, increasing to a maximum of 25%. So you can see that the meter is running and there's really no advantage to not paying the taxes, you really need to pay those taxes or at least have a formula for paying. Wow. So these things can compound in a sense and create a much higher tax liability over time. So taking action quickly to get rid of that failure to file is key. The failure to pay though, if you don't have the money, then that keeps on running. That meter keeps on running. Well, but there are processes to try and mitigate you know, but people who typically get themselves in trouble don't get in constant communication with the government to try and resolve this. They, they bury their head in the sand because they're in trouble and they only make their matters progressively worse. Okay, so we covered the, the estimated tax penalty, the failure to pay penalty, the failure to file penalty. You made mention of a payroll tax if not paid penalty. Is that correct? Yeah. They, so the taxes themselves have penalties and then the um, trust fund penalty, the uh, social security monies that are due the government, they're not yours to use. And if you use them for other purposes, you have a potential for a criminal uh, act. Uh, it wasn't yours in the first place, but um, 
nonetheless, that happens. Uh, and then there's also the big penalty for willful understatement. You intentionally didn't report large amounts of income. Wow. And you said there's some 40 different penalties out there. Oh, yeah. So yeah, Probably even more than that. So key takeaway from this session, you may get some correspondence from the IRS or from the states. States have penalties too, right, Jeff? They do. So if you get the letter, make the phone call. First call tax advocates because we have to discuss ways to abate or mitigate those penalties. Hey, Ted, uh, yet again, good luck. Remember, the First Call Tax Advocates, Ron and Jeff, are your first responders. Board-certified professionals, over 60 years of experience. Visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more, explore, and leave a review. For more urgent matters, call them toll-free at 833-568-8999. That's 833-568-8999. And for you subscribers, we offer a complimentary consultation to discuss your tax matter. Our next call comes from three triplets. I know there's no other way for it to be. It's two twins, three triplets, three sisters. And it's Paula, Peggy, and Prudence from Peoria. And unfortunately, they lost their dad. Um, and this was the surviving parent. And they lost dad to the coronavirus back in March. The challenge for them, though, is dad didn't have a will, Jeff. So when somebody dies without a will, and if other estate planning techniques were not done, then we have to go to probate court. What is probate court, Jeff? Hi, ladies. Sorry for your loss. Probate court is a surrogate's court. Uh, and if there is a will, the surrogate's court determines the validity of that will and uh, whether or not the provisions in that will comply with the law. Um, if there is no will, the surrogate's court will appoint an administrator of some kind, uh, could be a family member, may not be, and then the court will uh, follow the intestacy laws. Without a will is called intestacy. So in this case, uh, Paula, Peggy, and Prudence, who were born within minutes of each other, are stepping up and saying, hey, my dad has passed away. Here's the death certificate. And in probate court, um, what happens next? Well, assuming that it is validated that they are who they are, the children of the decedent, they would now have the opportunity to petition the court to become the administrators in this instance, and they could um, take care of the affairs of their dad post-mortem. The transferring of title of his property. So, Jeff, what are some of the challenges in general with probate court? Well, there's cost. That's probably one of the biggest ones. You're now going... At a very emotional time in your life, you just lost a loved one and you're now having to hire a stranger, the lawyer, and you're now dealing with a stranger, the judge, 
you also have public disclosure. Uh, so uh, there are um, uh, uh, time considerations. There's money. There's privacy. There's, you know, this period of uncomfortability because you just lost somebody. So it's the last thing in the world you want is this cumbersome process that you just don't understand. One of the things you'll have to do, and since there's three of you, you can split the responsibilities up, yet only one of you will be the personal representative. Okay, You'll have to inventory all of dad's assets. You'll have to find out what dad owned. You will also have to notify other family members. Yeah, you're, you may not be the only heirs to your father's estate. He could have had siblings. He could have had cousins. You have to notify everybody. And that's global, Jeff. They have to, right? The, the, the girls have to find all of dad's relatives around the world. And that's when you mentioned time. How long can probate take? <laughs> well, it starts out at a minimum of nine months, and it could take sometimes years. There are some very well-publicized cases that have gone on for years. So it's not the desired way, um, but the court wants to take very uh, calculating and timely uh, measures to determine who are the actual um, beneficiaries who are the rightful heirs to this money and if they're the legal heirs. So, you know, just because somebody says they're a relative doesn't make them so. And this stranger, the judge, now has to view all of this stuff, this information, and determine its credibility. We found out through a quiet conversation with the girls that they actually have an older sister who hasn't spoken to her father in decades. Does she need to be notified, Jeff? She does. And we asked, are there any other siblings? And here was the answer that came from Prudence. We don't know. So all of the children of the decedent need to be notified. So we have the triplets and now there's an older sister and we don't know if there are any other children. This can get very complicated. So maybe some steps um, we can talk about in another episode, Jeff. You mentioned before about will substitutes and prior calls. It may make sense for us to kind of give some education on that in the future. Indeed it does. So ladies... Paula, Peggy, and Prudence, good luck. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. You probably have additional questions, don't you? We are your first call. Remember, everyone's situation is unique, but we should be your first call. We are your first responders. The 911 operator doesn't call you. Please call us toll-free at 833-568-8999. Again, 833-568-8999. And visit our website at firstcalltaxadvocates.com. We'd love to know what you've learned today, so please leave a review on our website. We have attempted to appeal to a broad audience, but we want to help everyone.
if we can. On our next episode of What Are the Tax Implications, we'll be discussing the following topics. The Fifth Circuit of our Court of Appeals has come down with a very, very interesting ruling about the health insurance or not having health insurance penalty being unconstitutional. And what are the tax implications? Additionally, the end of forbearance. Yes, the period of forbearance is coming to an end. And what does that mean? What are the tax implications? And lastly, if I need to secure my property with additional uh, boarding up of windows, extra security in this age of potential riots, are they ordinary, necessary, and reasonable expenses?